everyone. Welcome back to the Historical Paranormal Podcast. I am super excited to be back. And I hope y'all had a better week than I did. I had the worst week. Um, not even the worst week, but it wasn't great. So much of 2020 is not great. And I'm sure that I'm in the majority here. When I say that time passed, it was fine. Let's just move on. Um, it really wasn't that bad, but it was bad enough to where I'm like, I really hope this next week is better. But today's subject I'm excited about because honestly, when I was younger, I was obsessed with ancient Egypt. So much so that I wanted to be an Egyptologist. I seriously wanted to go to college for archaeology and make discoveries like Howard Carter with Tutankhamun's tomb um, just be out digging up new artifacts and cities in some cases, as we've found recently. Uh, my favorite Bible stories, for example, were the ones that took place in Egypt, too. And I'm afraid I was the one rooting for Moses to stay and be Pharaoh so he could be surrounded by the beauty and the extravagance of Egypt when I saw the Ten Commandments. And I mean, it's a movie set from, I think it was the 50s. It was beautiful, the set anyway. Um, so I was like, yeah, why just stay there and do that? Obviously, no, I mean, there was slavery and stuff. Um, so we won't go into that, but yeah, I was the one who was like, yeah, Egypt, go Egypt. Um, except in the case of slaves, let them go, but definitely go Egypt. So as I've gotten older, I've kind of had this creeping thought that it's probably not ethical to be unearthing these tombs. They're the lost resting place for these people, and unearthing them really means disturbing that peace. If you buy into all that. And the little girl in me who wanted to be an archaeologist would definitely make the case that we don't know much still about everyday Egyptian society, and that opening these tombs can give us a glimpse into their everyday lives. And my god, the artifacts are amazing. But yeah... I just can't get out of get it out of my head that it's not a good idea. But we're still out looking for Alexander the Great's tomb. That's the newest obsession. Although it's kind of been an obsession for quite some time because he died in Babylon and then was moved over or back to Alexandria. And we still have never found his tomb. But it's led to some pretty gruesome discoveries. And one of them was very recent. Uh, and it was two or three bodies um, that were encased in a sarcophagus, like a black basalt um, sarcophagus, surrounded with red water in a, inside the sarcophagus. Although, to be fair, they were constructing something in Alexandria and came across this stone tomb. So they weren't necessarily looking for Alexander, but the people who were digging it up were certainly excited, thinking that it was him. And again, that the red water is so gross. There was a huge petition for quite some time uh, of like thousands of people who wanted to drink the red water that they found in this tomb. It was disgusting. I'll probably include a picture of it uh, on the post that I do for this story, but man, is it gross. And what it, what it had turned out to be, so they say, was a crack inside the tomb or the grave and it was sewer water that had gotten in. Now, how it was read, I don't know. I was thinking that maybe during the um, putrefaction process, perhaps, you know, it kind of mixed with that. And even if the tomb had 
degraded to the point where there were only bones left. Maybe there was other stuff left with it. And maybe that was what got mixed with the water. But I don't know. I honestly, I have no idea. That doesn't make sense either, really. If there were bones, why would there still be other things? So who knows? really. Um, there are also a lot of speculations that they were soldiers. There was speculation that, um, they weren't soldiers, but that they were a family and it was a family tomb. But I honestly, I didn't keep up with it. I should have though. Um, so gross. I'm still thinking about that because my husband brings it up every once in a while and I laugh, but no, I, when I was looking at the red water stuff just to get that information, um, I couldn't even eat the ice cream that I was really excited about eating while I was researching because it was just so disgusting to me, but there are still a lot of discoveries being made. There was a 4,400 year old tomb found in Giza. Um, and there was an ancient necropolis found in Minya. So regardless of my feelings on the subject, people are going to get into these tombs and they're going to see what was never meant to be seen by a living person. And you know what? I'm not the only person who feels that they should not be disturbed. Ancient Egyptians felt the same way. And they often made trick tombs and tunnels just to ensure that whomever was trying to break into the tomb wouldn't be able to. These tombs had so much religious meaning to them that breaking into them or stealing artifacts and treasures buried with the body was akin to sacrilege and a total rejection of Egyptian theology. So trick tunnels and entrances make sense. They would make sense. But sometimes it went a little further than that. Sometimes curses were added to the tombs. My personal favorite. <laughs> I swear I'm going to be buried with the curse that's on my tombstone. Um, I look forward to it. I'm going to put it in my will so it legally has to happen. Anyway, uh, in, on November 26th, 1922, Howard Carter, Lord Carnivan, Lady Evelyn Herbert, and Arthur Callender descended ancient stone steps that led to an intact sealed doorway. When Howard used his chisel to break away a piece of the door, he stuck his head inside with a candle to see what he had found. When Lord Carnivan asked him if he could see anything, he said, yes, wonderful things. He discovered the intact tomb of Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun. That rhymes. I'm so excited about that. Okay. I even wrote it like that and I was like, hey, look at me, all rhyming and stuff. Anyway. The wonderful things he saw were treasures stored in the burial chamber. So he was peering upon gold and ebony statues and other trinkets that had not been seen since they were first placed inside. This was the culmination of years and years of financing on Lord Carnivan's part and actual um, excavation on the part of Howard Carter that they were so excited that they'd finally hit the jackpot. Immediately, they dispatched a messenger over to Howard's home to let them know, or those who were working there know, that a tomb had been found. The messenger reported that when he opened the door, he heard a tiny human-like scream. He looked over at the birdcage where the scream came from. Inside was Howard's pet canary. Only a cobra had gotten into the cage and was in the process of eating the yellow canary. Some saw this, especially Egyptians, as a warning. Many saw the cobra as a symbol of Uraeus, the upright royal cobra that stood for sovereignty, royalty, and divine power in ancient Egypt. You would often see it on the Egyptian crown or in other symbols of power. 
I think King Jafar, even though this is not Egypt, um, in Aladdin had his scepter. Uh, it was a cobra. It was really cool. And I always wanted one. I don't really like snakes, but I love seeing snakes in art or throwing rubber snakes at my mom. It's always hilarious. Um, that one, she is not a violent person, but she did slap me for that, like on the arm. But it was funny, nevertheless. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but I do like, yeah, snakes and art and jewelry. I think it's so cool, but yeah, not for real. <laughs> so if you'll remember, King Tutankhamun's burial mask was famous for the depiction of Uraeus as well. The symbol of royalty and power in ancient Egypt, eating Howard's canary, traditionally a bird that signified good fortune and luck, on the very day the seal was broken on a pharaoh's tomb, man, I'd say that was a pretty good reason to believe that there was a curse. It was this that caused English author Marie Corelli to write a letter about four months after the news of the tomb and canary broke to the New York World magazine. In reading the news, she had been reminded of a quote in an obscure book about Egypt warning that dire punishment would follow any intrusion into a sealed tomb. About five months after opening the tomb with Howard, his daughter Evelyn, and author Arthur Callender, Lord Carnivan cut open a mosquito bite while shaving, contracted sepsis, and died in Luxor. And by the way, that letter by Marie Corelli actually came out in the New York World magazine two weeks before Lord, Car Lord Carnivan died. So interesting timing there. It's unclear where exactly the mosquito bite had been located for this to happen, but when the autopsy was done on Tutankhamun, he was found to have a lesion on his left cheek. And there was some talk about exhuming Lord Carnivan, but it was like six months after the fact, and they weren't going to exhume somebody just to see if there was a mosquito bite on his left cheek. I feel as though that should have been recorded in an autopsy on Lord Carnivan, but apparently it was not. Regardless of the rumors, Howard was happy as a clam that he was getting all the media attention and fame that he felt he deserved. It was remarked by several that he seemed incredibly happy when he gave a friend of his a unique gift. Sir Bruce Ingram, a close friend of Howard's, was given a mummified hand wearing a cursed scarab bracelet. By the way, Howard Carter did not believe in curses, and it was exactly his brand of humor to give a cursed bracelet to somebody. How fun he must have been as a friend. The bracelet read, Cursed be he who moves my body. To him shall come fire, water, and pestilence. After receiving the gift, Ingram's house burned down. After finally rebuilding it, the area flooded, making the house unlivable. Crazy. George J. Gould visited the tomb shortly after it opened and found himself dead of a fever in the French Riviera after having left Egypt. Not only that, A.C. Mace, a member of Howard's excavation team, died in 1928 from arsenic poisoning. And Captain Richard Bethel, Howard's secretary, and one of those who would have seen the canary being eaten by the cobra as he was working there in Howard's house that day, he died in bed at a Mayfair club, which is like a card club or a gambling club, where it's possible he was smothered. So there's two deaths. So arsenic poisoning by AC or from AC Mace, who it, it may have been intentional. It may have been an accident. Arsenic was included in a few things back then. So it's possible that it was an accident. And then an actual possible murder, right? With Captain Richard Bethel. 
Both were associated uh, with this tomb. Howard Carter himself died over a decade later, but if a curse existed, I'm not sure his death is what was affected. If I believed in this curse, and I'm not saying I do, but I'm also not saying I don't, um, I'd say dying in relative obscurity with very little to his name and no family to speak of was what the curse really had in store for him. I don't know if he really sought fame. He's been described as a solitary man, like his whole life, but I don't know. I think dying fairly poor and without any family was, I mean, it's nobody's idea of a good death, you know? So it's possible. And on the side of, I guess, curses not being real, uh, we have Evelyn Herbert, Lord Carnarvon's daughter, who went on to live another 57 years after breaking into the tomb, among many others. So who knows? That's the most famous Egyptian curse, although I'm not sure there was a curse there at all. There were rumors for sure, including one that stated an inscription was found after breaking into the tomb that said, death shall come on swift wings to him that disturbs the peace of the king. But no evidence of such an inscription was ever found, which isn't to say that statements or curses like that didn't exist. They most certainly did. The Mastaba of Kantika Ikeki, who was alive and kicking around the 6th dynasty at Saqqara, had their tomb cursed, but not against robbers. Their curse was more against impure priests of Ka. The curse reads, As for all men who shall enter this my tomb, impure, there will be judgment. An end shall be made for him. I shall seize his neck like a bird. I shall cast the fear of myself into him. Crazy. And for those of you who were questioning what a mastaba was, and I definitely did because I haven't heard that term in quite some time. Um, a mastaba is similar to a pyramid. Um, it wouldn't have housed pharaohs or that kind of royalty necessarily, but it would have housed Egyptian dignitaries or priests, uh, which I'm guessing Kantika Ikaki was. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I may not be, but we'll go on with the mispronunciations because next we have the tomb of Ankatifi who warns any ruler who shall do evil or wickedness to this coffin may Haman not accept any goods he offers and may his heir not inherit. As hieroglyphs weren't deciphered until the beginning of the 19th century, so much of what we know of Egyptian curses is recent. In Egyptian life in general, I mean, it seems as though the 19th century was a long time ago, but it really wasn't in these terms. So when I say we're still learning so much about Egyptian society, we really are. There is a, um, a series of books on Roman society, and it's called um, Everyday Life of the Romans or something like that. And I have a couple of the books that go with it, but... I bought one for Egypt and it's so tiny. It's like a quarter of one of the Roman books. So, I mean, it's definitely something that we are still learning more about. And it's still something that's so fascinating to me. So just because hieroglyphs weren't deciphered until then, it doesn't mean that the curses weren't in play. In 1699, a Polish traveler had purchased two mummies in Alexandria and was bringing them home aboard a ship in the cargo hold. He said that he'd been plagued nonstop with terrible nightmares of two specters 
and while traveling on the ship, the seas had been stormy and rough. He concluded that getting rid of them by throwing them overboard would be the only way to end the mental aggravation of the nightmares and the stormy sea all at once. Once the mummies were thrown overboard, the nightmares stopped and the sea became calm. I mean, how's that for proof, right? The stories aren't all old either. For example, the supposed curse of King Tut came back in 1972, when artifacts from the tomb were to be sent to the British Museum to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the tomb's discovery. Which, don't even get me started at the fact that they had to be sent to Britain to commemorate the 50th anniversary, shouldn't they be in Egypt? I'm just saying. That's a whole other can of worms that I'm not even going to open. Also, did worms ever come in cans? You know, question? Anyway, Dr. Gamal Meriz was the director of antiquities at the museum in Cairo, and one of the few entrusted with packing up these relics to be sent to England. The night after he packed them up, he mysteriously and suddenly died. Once on the plane, a few of the airmen that were in contact with the artifacts died of heart attacks hours after touching them. One of them did survive the initial heart attack, only to suffer from one at the same time every year until the last heart attack, which took his life. I tried to figure out how many years that man lived with these heart attacks, but I couldn't. So I'm not totally sure I believe this particular part of the story. Another telling incident or series of incidents happened to Zahi Hawass, which again, I could be saying his name wrong. If I am, I'm sorry. He is a respected Egyptologist, and one day he was transporting artifacts from the site, Koa Abu Bilo, and he was informed that his aunt had died. One year later, around the same time, his uncle died. And then one year after that, again, around the same time, his cousin died. He's also told the story of a pair of children's mummies that were found and displayed in a museum. He said that there were ghosts and strange happenings going on at night in the museum until the team charged with storing mummies at that museum decided to take them off display. When that didn't work, Zahi placed the mummified children's father, also a mummy, with them. Only then did the haunting stop. Now, he has been very clear that he does not believe in curses. He did say that he believed that the ghosts of those mummified children were terrorizing the museum, but... Outside of that, he really doesn't believe in them. Um, another incident, a happier incident, there was a time that the display of a mummy actually performed a miracle. So they say. I'm always going to stick that caveat in there. So they say. So a young boy who was obsessed with ancient Egypt was visiting a museum in Cairo. He was very sick, and visiting museums was one of the only times where he didn't have to think of that, and he could focus on his favorite subject. He came across the mummy of King Amos I and was healed of his illness. Now, I'm not sure what happened to him after that, other than him becoming even more interested in ancient Egypt, um, but I would be very interested to find out. I don't know when the story occurred, other than it was after the 1970s, but I would be interested to see what happened to him. But the last and most recent story about Egyptian curses that I could find occurred in 2004 when a man visiting the Valley of the Gods, where many pharaohs were buried, stole an artifact. He brought it home to Germany, but experienced so much misfortune 
in doing so. He developed a fever, which became then so severe that he was paralyzed by it. He finally died of whatever this illness was, and it was never named in any of the articles that I found. And I've heard of this story a few times. Um, I've never found what illness it was, but he died of it, whatever it was. His stepson complained of a lot of other odd happenings, including dreams that his father was not resting peacefully and was being tormented by this relic. So he had decided to return it to Egypt's Supreme Council of Antiquities in the hopes that the dreams would stop. As far as I know, they did. But like, from whence it came, right? So that is the end of our Egyptian curses episode. And I hope that I haven't left any out. I think there's a couple that I saw that were kind of like, oh, he handled um, Anubis. He had to handle the statue of Anubis and then he died. Um, He was also really old. So it's possible that he just died of a stroke. That's it. And of course, that was never mentioned. It just said he died of a complete paralysis of his right side or left side. um, And he couldn't speak. But that sounds an awful like a stroke to me. So he wasn't, he wasn't young. He wasn't like 24 when this happened. So I don't know that that was necessarily something that's compelling. Um, they also said that there was a mummy board on board the Titanic, but again, not a mummy. So not even an artifact. In any case, if you guys have any more stories, I'd love to hear them. And if you have any ideas for stories, again, hit me up on Instagram or Facebook and just let me know what you'd like to hear. I have had some people give me some subjects, um, but unfortunately I haven't been able to cover them yet, but I'm looking into them. Sometimes these stories just take a lot of research and I'm trying to make sure that what I say is backed up by at least some primary source from the time. But in any case, I hope you guys have a beautiful week. And tune in for our next episode, which is going to be gruesome and gross. I got halfway through the research today, so we will have a good time next week. All right. See y'all soon. Bye. Bye.